In getting ready to preach on these readings this Sunday, and especially in encountering this particular parable and the way that we dive into it, I just went back and looked at all the different parables throughout the Gospel of Luke, because he has a lot of them. In fact, there are some that are unique to Luke that aren't in any other of the Gospels. And just to kind of see the style and the way that Jesus normally gets into the parables, because this one didn't seem like it was normal, and it's not. Because if you look back, say, like at the the parable of the Good Samaritan, or the parable of the Prodigal Son, or the parable of the Dishonest Steward that we got just a couple of weeks ago, normally it's like something's going on, right? And then he tells a story that kind of illustrates a point. Like, you know, you have the scholar of the law asking about what are the greatest of the commandments, and Jesus, you know, goes through about love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, love your neighbors yourself. The scholar wants to justify himself. Well, who's my neighbor? Jesus tells him the story of the Good Samaritan, right? And says, who is the neighbor? Go and do likewise. So it's like you move into a story to sort of illustrate a point. With this one, though, do you notice the fact that as Jesus gets into this parable, it's like he gives you the punchline first. Instead of like having this conversation about something and then giving us an analogy, giving us the story, it's like he's giving us like the subject line in, a, in an email, but it's in all caps, and it's like, pay attention to this. What does he say? Jesus told his disciples a parable about the necessity for them to pray always without becoming weary. It's sort of like if you were looking at the parable of the prodigal son. If he had begun that parable by saying, God is really merciful. Don't forget he's merciful. You need to know that he's merciful. Here's how merciful he is. And then he tells the story. That doesn't happen. He just tells the story because the Pharisees are complaining about how he's eaten with all these people they don't like. So he talks about God's joy when the lost get found and does that by giving a beautiful story. This is a little bit different. He's a lot more direct. He comes right out and says from the beginning, it's important for you to pray always without becoming weary. Then we get the parable, then his pay attention lines, and then we even get what I would call, and I'm not being disrespectful here, I hope, like a gospel equivalent of a guilt trip, right? Our Lord ending this with, but when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Like, are y'all going to listen to me or not? Like, I don't know. You know, it's sort of like on the same level of kind of like seeing our Lord's face, like, really? When he tells the parable of Lazarus and the rich man at the end with, even if someone should rise from the dead, they're still not going to believe. You know, so it's like he goes through this and is really like landed on thick, pray always without becoming weary. And then you get into the parable. And when you think about this, it's the second person of the Most Holy Trinity, God himself, Jesus Christ, in eternal communion with our Heavenly Father, come to pour out the Holy Spirit upon us so that we too might be in that communion forever. It's why he's here, and he compares his beloved eternal Father to some jerk politician who doesn't believe in God, doesn't respect any people, but if even he can be worn down, how much more so can God? I mean, you think about that. It's like incredible divine humility to say, folks, bother me. Come and talk to me. Keep coming. This is how it'll work. Like, I will listen. Even if this guy listens, I'll listen more. Then you look at the second person in this parable, this persistent widow, right? 
And I can't help but think that it's Jesus Christ, our Lord, is telling this parable, right? Telling it in the 18th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. You know, for a while, we've been talking about the fact that Jesus is on his death march to Jerusalem. It began very explicitly back in chapter 9. Luke tells us that when his time to ascend to the Father came near, he set his face and went towards Jerusalem. And ever since then, we've been in this travel narrative towards Jerusalem. We got one more chapter, and he's going to get there. You can tell because we're in the 29th Sunday of Ordinary Time. We're moving towards the end. So we're almost there. His public ministry is drawing to a close. His three years out there and active is almost done. And as he says this, and he's talking about the importance of prayer, and he, and he uses this example of this widow, I can't help but think that he is thinking about the widow that is very near and dear to his heart. That's the widow that is our Immaculate Mother, our Blessed Mother, who tradition tells us that St. Joseph did pass away, that she would have been a widow, and who is more persistent in staying close to her son, in praying always, than her. And I'll tell you something that was kind of a, a good exemplification of this, something that I think helped me to see this a little bit more, was I have a subscription to the Magnificat. I highly recommend it. We'll have to get in the bulletin how you can get one yourself. It's, it's small. It's great, but it's got the daily readings. There's a reflection every day. There's saints of the day. They have these wonderful articles. And in last month's, the September issue, in the middle of the magazine, in fact, it's on page 199, for those of you who have a subscription, It was on a meditation about the Feast of Our Lady of Sorrows, which was one month ago yesterday. And Father Richard Veris writes this article, and he's explaining a play by Father Peter John Cameron. He's a Dominican priest. He's wonderful. And Father Cameron wrote this passion play, so a play all about, you know, the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, you know, like a meditation on you know, the last moments of our Lord's life and what that would have been like. And I never heard anything quite like this before. In this play, and I haven't seen it yet, and I really want to, The Living Silence. When you get to basically the depiction over here we have in the 13th station of the cross, when our Lord is taken down from the cross and placed in the arms of his blessed mother, Mary says, how can this be? Now, we can all understand, like, of course, a mother whose son has just died on the cross, of course, she's going to cry out to heaven in that way, how can this be? But that's not where the line ends. And I'll tell you, the first time I read this, I started to tear up. She says, how can this be, for I do not know man? How can this be, for I do not know man? And we've heard that before. Back in the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke, it's what comes right after the angel Gabriel says those famous words that we say countless times every day. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. You will conceive and bear a son in your womb, and you will name him Jesus, and you will save his people. And she says, how can this be? For I do not know man. And you think about that fact, that Mary with the same body in her arms that she bore in her womb that happened at that moment of the Annunciation back at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. Here she is holding on to him right after he has died for us on the cross. How can this be? For I do not know man. To think about the fact that Mary continues to hold on even if she doesn't know what's coming next. She doesn't run away. She doesn't let despair overwhelm her. At the darkest of all moments when God himself has laid down his life for us on the cross to continue to trust 
in what God has given to us, to continue to trust that her son is Emmanuel, God with us. How can this be? For I do not know man. And to think about her persistence. And like I said, she is the ultimate widow who is persistent, who begs day and night for a decision against her adversary. Who's her adversary? Go back to the book of Genesis. It's the devil. We heard from Genesis that she would crush his head. We hear this fulfilled in the book of Revelation, right? This woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet. She begs for us day and night. Always is persistent. This widow who is always there. And the beautiful thing, when you think about our Lord is telling us, with all caps, screaming at us, like neon lights, even with a guilt trip, don't stop praying. Pray always without becoming weary. Why? Because that same darkness that is there, you know, at Calvary, we all experience it. It's all around us. It's like smog that you can't help but breathe in, right? And every single day, it tries to, you know, weasel its way in more and more. And we all succumb to not going back to prayer, right? How many times has it happened in my own life? And I'm a priest for many years. But how often do I instead, it's like, you know, I should pop into the church, say a few prayers and just kind of reconnect. Nah, I'd rather read this, this news article. I'd rather watch this YouTube video. I'd rather play this little game online, right? Because it's easy, right? And then start to get depressed. And it's like, ah, things are so difficult. It's like, what the hell did you think was going to happen? You stop paying attention to how good things can be, right? It always happens that way. Jesus tells us pray always without becoming weary because it's so easy to take our eyes off of our salvation. When you look at what St. Paul is saying to St. Timothy about Scripture inspired by God, to have those inspired Scriptures, and to think about what Father Peter Cameron did by taking the first chapter of Luke and putting it next to the 23rd chapter of Luke at our Lord's Passion, taking the words of our Blessed Mother then and she continues to say them. I mean, think about your marriage, right? You said, I do on your wedding day, but you got to keep saying it 25 years later. It doesn't look exactly the same, but it's still the same value. It's still so important. You keep saying, I do, in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health, for richer or for poor. And that's what our Lord wants for us. He is still there. He's telling us in this parable, bother me, talk to me, come to me all the time. Don't wander away. And then, as we see in Scripture itself, our Blessed Mother, who he gives us from the cross. And notice, in the Gospel of John, John is the one writing this, but he doesn't say, me, John, and Mary are standing there. He says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. It's like a human, it it doesn't sound humble at first, but it's an ultimately humble act. Why? Because every one of us can step into that place. Every one of us is the disciple whom Jesus loved, can be there at the foot of the cross with our blessed mother right there, who teaches us in the midst of those moments when it seems like all is lost and the son, the body of her dead son is in her arms and she says, how can this be for I don't know man? to remember all the way back to what the angel Gabriel said, to remember that he is God and he will rise from the dead. Even if she can't explain all of it immediately right there like a theologian, it doesn't matter because her love keeps her right there without becoming weary. And the good news for us 
she is not only the great example, like the widow in the parable, act like her, but she's also the powerful intercessor who's been assumed body and soul into heaven and continues to intercede for us and how glorious it is that God in his infinite wisdom doesn't give us like some, you know, amazingly wise teacher who teaches us along the way. Doesn't give us like, you know, the divine drill sergeant to kick us into shape. He gives us a mother, his mother, to help us remember in the most difficult of times that we have to pray always without becoming weary. Why? Because he is God, Emmanuel, God with us. Life has its ups and downs, but we've got to remember in all of them to keep praying. That prayer is not merely something we do, but it is a way of life, a lifestyle. And if we continue in all of the moments of our life to continue to remember that God is with us, And how blessed we are to have a blessed mother who will take us by the hand and lead us back to him day after day. And what a gift we have in the rosary with all of those mysteries, the joyful and the sorrowful, the glorious, the luminous, to see all of the mysteries of Christ's life. And in the same way that you can sort of overlay them, the joyful and the sorrowful, and how it makes it so much deeper as Mary is at the foot of the cross with her son in her arms, and still is trusting right back to those moments of the Annunciation. As we look at the mysteries of our own life and overlay them with the mysteries of Christ and to have her to help explain it all as we just spend time in prayer. And once again, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. I love the line from my friend Father Herb Burke, a decade a day keeps the devil away, right? It's so good. And I know families that have gotten into the rhythm that every time they get in the car to go somewhere, Family prays a decade of the rosary before they get going. And I had one tell me one time that we skipped it one day and the four-year-old yelled out from the very back seat, what about the decade? You know, so it's one of those things like all of us need it. He doesn't say, you know, the necessity for you to pray always without becoming weary once you're over 18. No, it's for all of us. Because we've got to remember in this valley of tears that we're not alone, that our Lord is with us. And our Blessed Mother shows us how to do that and will help us to do that, to keep praying always without becoming weary. Praise be Jesus Christ. Amen.